0: This is In Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of In Focus brings you in depth analysis and perspective from a different corner of our global network of experts.
1: This is In Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of In Focus brings you an in depth analysis and perspective from a different corner of our global network of experts. My name is Tom Griffin, and I'm the partner leading our Middle East and Africa region. And today we'll be talking about Libya. As I'm sure many listeners will be aware, the political, economic, and security landscape of Libya is changing, but remains extremely challenging. A period of relative stability, coupled with Libya's strategic positioning next to Europe and her large oil reserves are causing a considerable number of international companies to reassess doing business there. Indeed, Control Risks, with a lot of experience operating in Libya over the past 10 years, is currently embarking on a more robust in-country setup to support our clients as they navigate through the kaleidoscope of challenges and issues. Now, during our discussion today, we hope to expand on this opportunity and specifically focus on where we see this playing out and how companies can mitigate some of the key risks at play. Here to discuss this with me is Sharif Alashmawi, one of our geopolitical analysts who specializes in North Africa based in Dubai. Andrew Lipinski, an operations manager with significant on-ground experience supporting clients in Libya. And finally, Gil McNay, who's recently taken up a post as our operations director based in Tripoli. So with that, let's dive straight in and start by looking at the strategic background and backdrop to the changes in Libya. Sharif, morning. Could you perhaps kick things off by giving us a brief background to this change and also perhaps a sense of the political backdrop to the current environment?
2: Thank you, Tom. Um, I think to understand this changing landscape that you described, it's important to remember that Libya has witnessed successive rounds of civil conflicts and uh, transitions over the past decade. And the latest conflict in particular over over Tripoli, uh, which lasted between April 2019 and mid 2020, has been particularly devastating in terms of the level of violence and the extent of international involvement in the conflict. And finally, with the inability of what is called the Libyan National Army, led by General Khalifa Haftar to capture Tripoli, a political process brokered by the UN was initiated and led to a ceasefire in October last year, and the formation of the Government of National Unity in Tripoli in March 2021, with a mandate to hold general elections on the 24th of December. Now, the unity government was based on some sort of a power-sharing agreement between Libya's historical regions, which ushered in a period of optimism among Libyans, international businesses, and the international community, with a credible belief that Libya may finally be moving uh, towards a more stable, uh, secure, and unified political order. But what we've seen in the past few months is that progress in resolving the contentious issues between the Libyan stakeholders has been quite slow And tensions between the different factions and state institutions have grown significantly to a degree that is threatening the political transition itself. And for example, the Libyan stakeholders that are part of the UN formed Libyan Political Dialogue Forum, the LPDF, have been unable to to agree on a constitutional basis for the upcoming elections since Libya lacks a constitution, which prompted both the parliament, the House of Representatives in Tobruk in the east, and the High Council of State in Tripoli to unilaterally issue their own electoral laws without reaching a consensus between themselves. At the same time, the government and the parliament have been trading accusations of spoiling the political process, which meant that the 2021 budget, for example, was never passed. In fact, parliament issued a no-confidence vote on the 21st of September uh, against the government, and the government mobilized protesters against the parliament on the 24th. So in a nutshell, I think some of the momentum for a smooth transition to stability has been lost in the past few months with the mounting political tensions that we're seeing today in Libya. Although it's still uncertain whether Libya will be able to hold elections on time, what we can be sure of is that the vast majority of Libyans have shown that they want elections since nearly three million citizens out of a population of 7 million have registered to vote. There is also a significant international pressure at the moment on Libya to hold the polls in December on time, but it remains to be seen how the different political rivalries will play out in the next few weeks and how these will impact election schedule.
1: Thanks, Sharif, and I think a good scene setter for today's discussion. Perhaps, Andrew, turning to you now, the current political stability has certainly ushered in, I think, a more secure operating environment. But of course, many international firms are going to remain extremely wary of the security situation. Could you perhaps just provide us with a flavor of the types of international clients that are operating or actually looking to operate
0: in-country? Thanks, Tom. Yes, certainly happy to. Um, so Libya is an interesting environment from an international uh, company perspective. Um, as you mentioned, they've got very large reserves of oil, which, uh, at least as uh, according to the clients I work with, is very easy to produce. Uh, and it's got a very short term to market. So unsurprisingly, there's, uh, the, the largest single interest is probably from international oil and gas companies, oil service companies and ancillary service companies that in some way impact on or affect the oil and gas industry. Which is trying to reestablish itself fully in Libya and get its production back up to pre war levels. The other side of it, which is potentially may require more support, there's a quite a lot of interest that we've been seeing in the recent months over the last year, coming from engineering companies, coming from NGOs. And a lot of it's what is looking at the rebuilding of Libya, the, the reconstruction of infrastructure, of major roadways, telecommunication companies have been starting to show a larger interest to try and come in and help reconstruct. Uh, A lot of that which was either lost or destroyed during the conflict or simply didn't get the maintenance it required. So there's a whole a whole subsection of that which is now strong strong interest. Recently fielded a career of main Cable production company that was going to visit the general electric company of Libya because all of the electrical transmission cables have been stolen over the last few years. So rather than strictly oil and gas, there's a very large cross section of it companies uh, who are looking at Libya as a potentially interesting market. And as you say, now with the somewhat more politically stable situation are making serious inquiries as to how they can come in. And then, of course, there is the diplomatic missions who control risk. We have a long history of working with in high-risk areas, although that's not my area of expertise. or my colleagues may comment on that further. Great. Thanks, Andrew.
1: And and really encouraging to see uh, the market starting to open up. Gil, over to you. First off, uh, congratulations for, for taking up this exciting position based in Libya. But assuming it may be taking a little bit more of a practical turn, assuming that clients can operate there safely, it is still fair to say that there are going to be operational challenges for people and companies who are traveling to and working in Libya. Can you just sort of walk and talk us through what that looks like?
3: Morning, Tom. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to. After undergoing that process myself quite recently, firstly getting to country and to now operating in the country on a daily basis as well. I'll break this down into two elements. The first is actually travelling to Libya, and then I'll sort of discuss some sort of highlights and do's and don'ts uh, when sort of moving safely around the country, which I think is very pertinent to our listeners. Uh, In terms of getting a visa uh, into Libya and actually getting into the country can be quite a challenge. Uh, Visa processing is available in all European capitals and international hubs, but this process can be quite lengthy and will also require some form of in-country sponsorship and visa support. If one is travelling for business reasons, a letter of invitation uh, will be required by the entity that you're either working for or visiting within Tripoli itself or Libya. This is submitted to the Immigration Department and then in turn once approved, they will then upload the respective embassy systems so that your visa is actually approved and then issued at that point. This can take anything from several days to several weeks, depending on the processing and the functionality of the immigration department in Tripoli itself. International flights from Europe and international hubs are currently not operating into Libya and most travellers need to connect via flights either in Malta, Tunisia or Istanbul and that's via Libyan or Maltese airline carriers at this time. Clients can operate safely in Tripoli and throughout the country, very much depends on the scope of the work uh, and where in the country they're going to work within. The biggest risk, in fact, when travelling in and around Tripoli would be road traffic accidents and collisions. They tend to drive very erratically here uh, and at speed, Uh, or possibly being in the wrong place at the wrong time, being involved in inter-militia conflict. In fact, in Tripoli itself, there are several large militia forces that secure and control various parts of the city, and they provide the localised security to the local population and various ministries. Libya does have a functioning police force, but the militias are in uh, primary control uh, of these areas. What would you say in terms of sort of pragmatic steps to take? We would always recommend the use of a provider who can give some form of uh, secure journey management, ideally with tracking, response and medical provision, and also having the management support for if things do go wrong. Secure accommodation would be, and office space would be another recommendation. And there are a few hotels in Tripoli and Benghazi that would satisfy the international standards uh, for travellers. It should also be noted that when you travel out of the capital, Tripoli, there will be a requirement of additional paperwork and clearances to allow travellers to navigate through the various militia checkpoints in and around the area to get to their destinations.
1: Great stuff. Thanks, Gil. Andrew, perhaps turning back to you, following on from some of those operational challenges that Gil very helpfully outlined, can you perhaps just guide us through some of the areas that businesses need to consider? in order to operate safely and, and securely.
0: Thanks, Tom. Um, yes, certainly. So, I mean, Gil has provided a fairly comprehensive overview of the requirements to operate safely. The only thing I might add is it's always important to make sure that you develop a good understanding of the, the actual environment where you plan to go. What I mean by that is one doesn't just travel to Tripoli to spend time moving about the city and, and as a tourist. There's usually a very focused and very specific task um, and by spending time speaking either with uh, Control Risk or your security service provider, as well as speaking to your sponsor in Libya, it's important to get a feel for the area where you expect to be going. That's something your secure journey management company will also need to understand before planning any trips in and out of the area. But also, is to try and get a feel for the, the cultural nuances of how one works with Libyans. You know, there's a different approach to business meetings. There's a different approach to getting things done than I am used to as a As a Canadian, or how, or my colleagues as as Western Europeans are used to doing, Uh, so spending some time speaking to your sponsor or speaking to other people you you may know who've been uh, doing work in Libya, there's a lot more of the niceties are observed. There's a lot more small talk. Uh, You're much more likely to find yourself uh, brought into something like a lunch or a dinner meeting if uh, if it can be done safely, and the expectation of of speaking a great deal more about yourself, your personal life, than you might find in a in a typical meeting somewhere like in a major European capital, can be very sensitive subject security around Libya as well. So it's one thing I, whenever I'm there, I try to de-emphasize uh, when I'm working with Libyans, the need for security and try to explain why so much security is required. The average Libyan doesn't see the same need for security that we might as a, a Western expatriate visitor. And it's become over the last several years a sensitive issue for them. So it's something I tend to, to steer clear from when I'm there. Thanks,
1: Andrew. And unexpectedly, I think, yeah, getting those the sort of cultural aspects and the on-ground nuances uh, and really understanding those is absolutely critical in this regard. Gil, perhaps back to you, could you give us an understanding of just some of the practical issues that are facing international companies, areas such as local embassy support, air travel, visas, COVID restrictions, just a, again, a flavour of some of those
3: issues and challenges that. Uh, Thanks, Tom, and thank you for Andrew for sort of setting the context as well about the sort of Libyan business culture. Here, as you can imagine, COVID regulations are sort of prime and on the headlines all the time. They're very much the same as uh, entry and exit from most other countries that travellers will be used to by this point. A negative PCR test 72 hours in advance is required before travelling into and departing the country also. Covid restrictions in country are the, the sort of the usual spectrum of wearing face masks and other preventative measures, social distancing, etc. Point to note, however, the Libyan hospital infrastructure is under significant pressure at the moment, and with less than ten percent of the population having been vaccinated thus far, Covid is going to remain to be an issue within Libya for the considerable future. And we'd always recommend that a an in-country medical response provider, in order to offer immediate medical support. And if medical evacuation was required, should always be at the forefront of anyone's planning when they're coming to Libya. Um, In terms of local embassy support, it is actually very light on the ground at this current time, with only a few uh, embassies have returned to Libya at this time. That's the UK, Turkish, uh, the Germans and the French are considering coming back into country early in 2022. Other sort of embassy organizations and diplomatic missions are based remotely in Tunisia or back in home locations and are offering reduced and limited services. Therefore, we would always recommend that you confirm this with your relevant embassies before traveling into country, as in-country support can be very, very limited. Further to add to that, having a risk management provider like Control Risks with the in-country understanding and connections with the various ministries can assist travelers and business if anything goes wrong. I think finally, and just to to reinforce the point, uh, international carriers aren't currently flying into AAA. Routing options are available via Istanbul, Malta, and Tunis. Uh, However, these close and reopen frequently. COVID, political instability, uh, and those types of matters. The development of the Libyan air carrier infrastructure is being considered uh, and developed to allow international flights to resume. But this is sometime uh, in the distant future uh, for being an actual method to get in and out of Tripoli at this time. So, hopefully, those points, Tom, will allow travellers to be a little bit more informed about these sort of practicalities to get in and out of country and when operating within country as well. Thanks, Gil, and really useful, Sharif. Perhaps closing with you,
1: perhaps a slightly more open-ended question. But but really, you—if know, you take a look ahead and, and a sort of peek around the corner, where do you see some of the opportunities and some of the sort of key challenges for companies who are looking at investing or operating in Libya?
2: Tom, it's a tough question because uh, of, of how unpredictable Libya can be. But I think. We've described how tense the political environment is and how there is uncertainty over the timing of the elections. Despite that, we're still in a much better place than we were 18 months or two years ago in Libya. The ceasefire that was negotiated in October 2020 is still holding as we speak, and there is a dialogue platform between the different stakeholders. Oil production and exports are relatively stable. That being said, many of the political and security challenges that Libya has been facing are quite complex and it's fair to accept that they will take several years at least to to solve those include the difficult task, for example, of reforming the security sector and integrating the different militias and armed groups into unified security forces under the authority of a central government, but also uh, the conflicting agendas of foreign countries in Libya, which often result in the deepening of the divisions on the ground and the prolonging of the stalemate. Also, finally, I would say the promise that elections are the remedy to Libya's problems is uh, an argument that is losing its appeal a little bit, as the electoral process itself is highly likely to be contested, and many actors will be capable of voicing their disapproval through non-peaceful means. Thanks,
1: Sharif, and hopefully a positive and pragmatic note on which to close. And with that, we finish today's brief podcast, but look forward to continuing to discuss these various topics and areas of interest with you over the coming months. Sharif, Andrew, and Gil in Tripoli, a wholehearted thanks to all of you for your insights and your perspectives.
0: If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of In Focus, Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen and be sure to subscribe to our other podcasts as well, such as the Global Insight, our fortnightly panel discussion exploring the impact of the most pressing issues on global business. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we are helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.